This is the Church Planting Podcast, brought to you by the Broadcast Network. Broadcast exists to support, train, and encourage church planters. For more information about who we are or about the training that we offer, please visit our website at www.thebroadcastnetwork.org. Hello and welcome to episode 21 of the Broadcast Church Planting Podcast. Today we're going back in our archive to February 2015 for a hangout with Andy Hawthorne who heads up the Message Trust all about how we can engage local communities. You can find this full hangout and the notes on everything that Andy had to say at www.thebroadcastnetwork.org slash episode 21. So here's Andy Hawthorne. Okay, well, uh, I'm slightly nervous that Colin Barron might wish he'd gone to the launch of his fifth site because I'm going to give a little bit of my testimony. I mean, maybe that Colin Barron's heard this more than once, but uh, I'm hopefully going to have a a few uh, new little thoughts from our recent experience. Um, I don't know how much you know about the message. Trust you guys, but we've been going 23 years. Um, started here in Manchester. We have over 100 staff in Manchester. Uh, plus, we've launched all over the UK. And on Monday, I'll be flying out to Cape Town, and we've recently launched in South Africa. And we're working actually very closely with the New Frontiers Church there. So Jubilee Community Church has got our first Eden plant there in a tough community called Salt River, and uh, we're looking to spread that all over South Africa, all over Africa. We've got a vision to see uh, transformation in the UK, and we're convinced that uh, if we go after God's target, i.e. the least, the last, the lost, he'll look after the rest. We go for the hardest to reach, and we believe it's a key revival strategy, has been since day one for the message. And uh, we are talking a lot at the moment about two things. And we believe any uh, church plan that wants to see true transformation is going to focus on two things. First thing is proximity. They're going to get down and dirty with some people. They're going to get to know some people. They're going to get alongside some people, love some people, uh, scratch where people itch. We do a thing called Eden. We now have 39 Eden church plants with about 300 people living all over the UK uh, on some of the tough, toughest communities and we're, we're uh, a new Eden moves into a tough community every two days at the moment and we're planting a new team every month um, and that's really starting to accelerate. We've moved twice as many workers in this year as last year and that was twice as many as the year before. So I'd encourage about that after we've done this thing called Eden which is hardcore, incarnational, moving people into the toughest communities, getting in proximity with people and we work in prisons, and we work in tough communities. We have buses that go out. But alongside proximity, we're convinced that uh, the other word that's going to bring transformation is proclamation, and we're evangelists first and foremost. And actually, I don't know whether you agree with me, but I I believe there's been a swing in our generation, certainly here in the UK, away from proclamation towards proximity. And perhaps the swing has gone too far. Uh, We've been amazing in the UK at food banks and debt relief and all kinds of kindness and generosity and social engagement, uh, but we're not proclaiming the gospel like we used to, that's for sure. Certainly not on a large scale, certainly not training and releasing evangelists. And if you want to grow your church plan, first thing you need to do is get hold of some evangelists. 
church plants that grow fast are built on evangelists. And we have this crazy system where if we've got a bit of money for a church plant, we employ a pastor teacher. If we've got quite a good budget, we employ a worship leader. And if we're really loaded, we've got loads of money, we employ an administrator. And the bottom of the list seems to be the the evangelist, where the first person you need to employ, if you're going to grow a church plant from scratch, is an evangelist. The churches here in the UK and all over the world are churches who build themselves on evangelists. Um, And I know you know that, but it's easier said than done to find the gifted evangelists, to release them. And the churches that are growing fast are still preaching the gospel boldly and expecting a response, believing that when this gospel is preached, it produces fruit. I, I read a brilliant quote from Spurgeon recently. And Spurgeon said, pray and preach as if you'll be astonished if men don't get saved. And I wonder how many of us, uh, I wonder if the launch of the Slug and Lettuce, those uh, in Didsbury and Manchester tonight, which is fantastic, I wonder how many of those church planters will be astonished if people don't get saved. We need to pray and preach. We need to find the evangelists, release them. And a big part of our future at The Message is something that we're calling higher. Higher are... We're putting the lamp on a stand, booking the biggest venue, starting here in Manchester, all over the UK, plus Cape Town. We're going to go in dozens and dozens of schools, do dozens of schools missions. We're also going to preach the gospel in the biggest arenas, the biggest rock venues, secular mainstream venues. And alongside that, we're going to look to release preaching evangelists. These gigs, even though I'm an evangelist, I'm not going to preach any of them. I'm going to release our young evangelists at The Message and others that we're going to headhunt And I I have a group of 12 young evangelists around me and they only gathered around me in the understanding and expectation that within 12 months, they will have 12 preaching evangelists who are believing that when they preach, people are going to get saved. And uh, if you want my senses, if you want to build a fruitful, fast growing church plan, get the evangelists, release them, use them, uh, annoying as they can be to pastors. Because uh, pastors like to fish with a, a fishing rod and get the big fat fish. Uh, evangelists like to f- fish with a net and chuck the fish into the church where they tend to flip-flap around, smell the place out, cause all the problems. But if you want to grow a church fast, don't build it on a fishing rod, build it on a net, okay? So that's my hobby. And uh, over the years, we, we've learned a lot about proximity and proclamation. The message trust started when I had a business in uh, inner city Manchester, a place called Longsight. But I was one of these businessmen who did what most businessmen do, and I only had my factory in Longsight because that's where we got the best grants off the government. And I had a BMW and a 300-year-old cottage, and I went to a church in the suburbs. And it was only when I had a big surge in turnover in the mid-'80s, and the lady Diana wore a pair of our braces, and next day every girl in Britain had to wear a pair of these braces and so we had orders on for millions of these braces and we we ran out of nice Christians to employ in our business so we went to the local job centre in a city Manchester Colin will know alongside well and we employed dozens of young men and suddenly rather than just driving past these young men on the way into our work and driving back out to the suburbs as fast as we could we were in proximity with them and we realised that Uh, they really knew nothing of Christ. There was a whole community here in the UK, uh, Christian Britain, so-called, that absolutely had no understanding the basic tenets of the gospel. 
And it was that experience and not just seeing their uh, under, seeing their lack of knowledge of the gospel, but seeing their behaviour, you know, the drugs and the, the violence and the vandalism and the uh, regular phone calls we got from the police because they were stealing our stock and the fact they were hopeless at making braces. It was a, it was a kind of upsetting period in our life, but it was getting in close proximity with the last, the least, the lost that prompted myself and Simon, my brother, who was my partner in the business, to write to every church in Manchester. And we wrote to all the church leaders in 1988, arrogantly, naively, and uh, we said, it's crazy that there's this community growing up in Longside and there are a picture of so many inner city estates in Manchester that really know nothing of Christ. Across the road from our factory, there in inner city Manchester was the largest church in Longside, big old Anglican church, but it had been um, sold to an Asian knitwear manufacturer. And we, we also used to do embroidery and embroider their jumpers. And uh, where the pews used to be, the knitting machines were rattling away, knitting these jumpers that we used to embroider. But the choir stalls were still there. And above the choir stalls, it said, without a vision, the people perish. And uh, that scripture from the Proverbs ought to just break our heart. How can it be that the church has lost so much vision for the inner city, for the lost, the last? How can it be that there are so many growing up when the church has got all the resources it needs to reach every person in our nation and your nation, Mike, if only we'd get our act together? And uh, 300, 400 years ago, the people who built that amazing facility in Longside would have had a lot of vision. And the director of that church would have been given, commissioned with a cure of souls, not just for his little flock on a Sunday, but his job was to, to reach out to the whole community in his parish and, and provide education and health and, and support the poor and bless the needy. And uh, somewhere along the, the road, they lost the vision. And so on the back of that, we wrote to every church. And the, the, the night we had the idea to do this thing that became Manchester's largest ever youth mission called Message 88, uh, I was praying and I said, oh, God, if you really want me and my brother, even though we've not got the resources, we've not got the expertise to do this, please would you speak to me through your word? And uh, that night, the set reading, that are still uh, words large in our meeting room from that day was Isaiah 43. And the verses that have become our touchstone verses are, are these. See, this is Isaiah 43, 18 to 21. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up, you not perceive it. I'm making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. The wild animals honour me, the jackals and the owls, because I provide water in the desert and streams in the wasteland to give drink to my people, my chosen. And uh, there's a couple of things in there that I would say, if you want to see transformation in your communities, if you want to see, the first thing you've got to do is see God's new thing. Because God's not run out of ideas to see the Great Commission fulfilled. There's a, a our part, which is see, see God's new thing. Um, do you not perceive it? God's saying, do you not perceive it? God's got so many ideas that he will pour into the lives of faithful, listening people. But church planters, especially church planter evangelists like myself, uh, tend to be people who aren't great at listening to God. We just want to steam off with our own ideas and charge around. But building in and you know this but i don't know how how much you practice that and we constantly need to be sharpening each other and almost certainly there'll be people uh hanging out with us tonight who've gone off the boil in terms of sacrificial prayer 
but you ain't going to see what you need to see without sacrificial prayer. And the best decision I made at the message trust, I think was 20 years ago when I think there were four of us employed, um, we, uh, we decided we were going to give a whole day a month to fasting and prayer and seeking God. And uh, my friend Mark Pennells, who started the charity with me after I left the business, would come and strum his guitar, we'd worship, we'd pray, we'd often share communion together, we'd share our stories. And, and uh, it was hard work the first few years. Last Monday, we had 250 of us gather for our prayer day. And just to, for me to watch that thing build, you know, and to see that and the sense of passion and prayer and, and the, the faith for revival. And in the afternoon, we had George Verver come along. Have you heard of him? George Verver, Operation British Mobilization, just a nutty out-and-out missions guy to stir us up. Best decision I made 20-whatever years ago that we're going to meet every month. And I'm, I mean, I'm a real git about people coming along. If people say, I need to miss the prayer day, I see, say there isn't a more important meeting. Don't tell me you've got an important meeting with a civic official or a church leader. We're meeting with a living God. We pray. At the centre of our building, we've placed a prayer room. And um, tomorrow night, that prayer room will be full from 10 o'clock at night until 6 in the morning, a whole night prayer meeting every week. We constantly looking to fill that room with prayer. We, we just finished a 21-day fast at the message. I'm determined, even though my heart is like, I want to get out there, I'm an activist, to build this thing on perceiving God's new thing because isn't it the truth that so often God's strategy is so different from ours I remember going to and, and to be fair Mike you Americans specialize in this stuff but I went to this uh, conference and uh, it was an American guy and he said what you need to do is concentrate focus all your efforts on your top 10% of leaders and go after the top 10% and pour 90% of your time into your top 10%. Find the people with the gifting, the talent. It'd be a great strategy if only it was exactly the opposite of what the Lord did. The Lord Jesus went out for the unskilled ordinary and poured his life into them, didn't he? He, he went in for the least and the last and the lost. And he went for, and he spent an inordinate amount of time with demoniacs and lepers and, and widows and single mums and and gangsters and uh you know when you're doing the kind of work we do a large part of our work now is providing jobs for ex-offenders who've come to christ i find it so encouraging that after three and a half years of pouring his life into these people he had one guy who went off effing and jeffing saying i don't even know this man who also uh chopped his ear an ear off you know an official he had another guy who committed suicide he had several of them not just thomas because it says on the you know before the ascension some doubted him the 11 were there and so there's at least two of them probably three four five of them were still doubting him six weeks into the resurrection and so he had a bunch of guys jesus has been this ultimate role model he's he's modeled this incredible ministry and they were still all over the place but praise god they went on to change the world didn't they they, got, they did get filled with the Spirit. They got fired up, and here we are, two billion of us a couple of thousand years later. I mean, Jesus' strategy is upside down. It's totally upside down. And I was reading that John 12 thing, and I was really, this week, really convicted about the woman who poured the perfume on Jesus' feet. And I so would have been like, how could you do that? That's the... You know, that's a year's wages. It could have been spent on church planting, Jesus. It could have been spent on the poor. It could have been spent on some great strategy. It's just 
filling the house with this aroma. But Jesus' strategy is so different to ours. And he said, of course, they'll be still talking about this story thousands of years into history as the church grows around the world. And here we are. I'm telling you about it because it's in the word. And Jesus' strategy is so different from ours. We only see his new thing. And his new thing is often an upside down. It's a rivers in the dead strategy. It's a, a wild animals on me strategy. If we build our church plants, we're not going to transform communities, trying to do things man's way. Uh, and even, you know, I, um, I may not look like it, but one of the things I do, I watch Christian telly for about 15 minutes every day because it's probably bad for my soul. But uh, I watch you when I'm doing my sit-ups and my exercises in front of the telly. And this morning, um, the guy, I woke up this morning, and the guy was talking about Peter fishing uh, and going out fishing, and he fished all night and uh, caught nothing. And he said this little thing that stuck with me, because we've had a few discouragements recently about some of our trophies, some of our, you know, true people who look like they're amazing disciples who are former addicts and, and gangsters, and they've gone back to their old lifestyle, believe God's going to pull them back. But he said, and, and some of the work we've done, you feel like, oh, we worked so hard and seen so little fruit. And it was just a beautiful moment before the TV today, doing my sit-ups, when the Lord said uh, to this guy, if Peter hadn't had the night of nothing, if he hadn't had the night, he's got the boat, he's a professional fisherman, he's got the net, he's got a sea full of fish, it's all there. If he hadn't had this totally frustrating night, he would have never positioned himself for the breakthrough, never positioned himself for the miracle, the miracle of the boats full of fish. I don't know what that means to you, but it's God's upside down strategy. That's the point that we only see when we perceive him, when we push in, we see the rivers, the streams in the waste and the wild animals honoring him. My, most of my best ideas down the years <clears throat> and there's quite a few that, you know, weren't good ideas because they were my ideas. And they seemed like good ideas, but they never made it to our newsletter. I never told our supporters about them because they were stupid ideas because they came out of Andy Hawthorne's hearts. But my best ideas have come when I've spent that time seeking the Lord. So Isaiah 43, 18 to 21 is our, our first touchstone scripture of the message. The second one um, is... Psalm 37, verses 5 to 11. The message was actually formed when we started the charity with a band. We were called ourselves the Worldwide Message Tribe, and, and it was me and a mate and a bunch of dancers from our youth group, and then we just went into schools. And, and we actually started to see thousands of kids. I know it sounds a bit much, but we did thousands of kids turning up to our gigs and, and thousands of responses to the gospel. And we even saw in the toughest community in Britain at that time, a real move of God and like a hundred kids respond to the gospel and yet keeping them going was impossible. So we came up with this idea for these things called Eden teams, just church plants in the inner city, moving people into the most deprived communities. The night, the first, and I wonder whether Collie might have been there, I spoke first time publicly about Eden. Um, I told these church leaders we wanted to do this thing in Benchill, everyone knew what Benchill was like. There were drive-by shootings and, and there were uh, prostitutes hanging around and drug dealers. And the pastor, Adrian, we wanted to partner with, he would prayer walk, and he had been doing for 11 years, the whole of Withenshaw. This bit of Withenshaw called Benchill, he used to prayer drive because, you know, the atmosphere was so intimidating. 
But uh, we decided we wanted to move some people into there. And the first time I ever spoke publicly about that, I sat outside in a car park in Manchester, and uh, a guy came up who didn't know who we were, me and my brother, knocked on my car window, and then we ran the window down, and he said, excuse me, lads, I've got a word from God for you. And um, he read these words from, he said, I don't know if you understand this kind of thing, if you're Christians, but I believe I've got a word from God for you. And uh, he read these words from Psalm 37. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he'll do this. He'll make your righteousness shine like the dawn, your vindication like the noonday sun. Be still before the Lord. Wait patiently for him. Don't fret when men succeed in their ways when they carry out their wicked schemes. Goes on to say, through faith from anger, don't fret. It only leads to evil. Those who hope in the Lord will inherit the land. Goes on to say, the meek will inherit the land and enjoy great peace. Second, first thing I want to say is seek the Lord. Transform communities. Okay, you've heard it before, so do it. Seek the Lord. Build in time. Carve out time. Don't let anything cut across you. You sacrifice your prayer, your fasting, your gathering. Even when you've got a small team, building things that you're absolutely relentless about and ruthless about, seeking the Lord. The second thing is believe in the cause Believe that this gospel works. We need to have faith to believe that this big gospel can change a city, can change a region. George Verver gave me this amazing book about what God's doing on the earth. And uh, the fact that China, of all places, will soon have the largest number of evangelicals in the world. The fact that the Africa, the dark, dark continent, the fires of revival are burning. What's happening in South America and stories from all over the world. And it was only, it was only when I was born in 1960, the UK had the second largest evangelical church in the world. And 50% of the world's Christians lived in Europe. I mean, God's turned the world upside down in my lifetime. What God is doing on this earth, he's not finished with us yet, people. And it can feel like it when you live in Europe and church planting can be such hard work. But in a moment, God can change everything. The cause is righteousness. The cause is righteous and God will honor it. God, we need to believe if we keep doing the right things in the right way, at the right time, we keep sowing and keep on sowing we'll reap a harvest and not let discourage and disappointment because Psalm 37 says um, evil men will spring up. There will be evil men. There will be opposition. There'll be all kinds of wickedness around you, but refrain from anger, turn from wrath. Just keep going, keep going, sowing, sowing, sowing. My sense is that um, if I can be uh, big-headed, but I don't think he's being big headed. I hope not. That actually, um, what we've done at the message, uh, any of success, and we have seen, um, we have been involved, has been built on just having a good heart, going after God's target, the last, the least, the lost, good heart, and keeping going. And possibly others would have given up. That's actually the secret to success in the kingdom, believing in this great cause. Well, we hope you enjoyed this hangout. Just to remind you, you can get the full notes on everything that Andy had to say at www.thebroadcastnetwork.org slash episode 21. 
If you visit the broadcastnetwork.org, you can sign up for updates about our hangouts coming up in the future, and you can also access our full library of past hangouts, articles, and other church planting resources.